well, good morning. Hi. Everybody doing well this morning? Great. Well, like Dustin said, my name is Adam Young. I'm one of the pastors here and just excited to welcome you uh, to our new series that we started a few weeks ago in the book or the letter of James. Um, and so just to kind of recap where we've been, we're just a couple messages in. We're still in chapter one. We're going to wrap up chapter one this morning. Um, we started by just introducing both the man, James, and his letter. And what we learned is that James is the half-brother of Jesus. And so Mary and Joseph are James's uh, biological parents. And James grew up impressed with his brother Jesus, but not convinced. Not convinced that he was who he said he was, that he really was the Son of God until the resurrection. And once James met his brother Jesus, resurrected from the grave, it changed everything about his life. He went from being a skeptic about Jesus to being a fanatic. He became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, one of the primary key leaders of the Christian movement in the first century, um, so much so that even Paul, as he was beginning his ministry, went to Jerusalem to get James's blessing over his ministry before he continued on. And so what we've learned so far about James and his letter um, is that James expects everyone to be all in when it comes to their faith. Because of the dramatic transformation that he experienced in his own life, when he met his brother resurrected from the dead, um, and James went all in, he expects the same for any of us who claim to believe in the resurrection. He doesn't have a lot of place or categories for people who are kind of half in, half out with their faith. That if we really do believe Jesus was resurrected, then we should be all in. Another thing that makes James unique is that unlike Paul, James isn't going to explain the gospel in great detail to us. Rather, he's going to assume that we know the gospel and he wants to show us what our lives will look like if we really do believe in it. And James holds back nothing. He's not afraid to hurt your feelings or offend you. Uh, he's going to teach some hard truths, just like Dustin taught last week. I mean, James opens his letter by saying, count it all joy when you face trials. I mean, really, how many of us are going to count trials a genuine joy? And as Dustin showed us last week, when we go through those moments, it's not that God is taking something from us, but it's in those moments that God is giving something to us that we rejoice in. And so this week, James is not going to hold back for us either. So I don't know if you ever heard the phrase, you get out what you put in. Maybe you've had parents or teachers or coaches say that to you in your life. And it's really true in, in, in all areas of life. If you're gardening and you plant tomato seeds, you expect nothing but tomato plants to grow, right? What you put in is what you're going to get out. You've probably had teachers or coaches say that to you. Um, I have spent most of my adult life coaching in different capacities and um, I've said dozens and probably more than dozens of times to my athletes, right? You will perform like you practice. So you can't put in a lousy performance in practice and then when it comes game time, expect to do your best. What you put in is what you're going to get out. It's true in leadership and business as well. I don't know if any of you have read James uh, Clear's book, Atomic Habits. 
It's a phenomenal book about how making small changes in your life over time will lead to dramatic results. Um, But he says in that book uh, that we do not rise to the level of our goals, we fall to the level of our systems. You have all experienced this, whether it's a New Year's resolution or, a, hey, I'm starting a new school year, things are going to be different this year, whatever it may be for you, uh, you've set goals or New Year's resolutions or something and then failed to live up to them because we don't rise to the level of our goals, we fall to the level of our systems. What we put in is what we get out. And in many ways, this is what James is going to talk to us a little bit about today. And so we're going to look together at James chapter 1, and I'm going to start in verse 19. So you can follow along with us in the Bible app. If you brought a Bible, you can use that. If you didn't and you don't want to use your phone, there should be a Bible under your seat or the one in front of you that you can use as well. James chapter 1, and I'm going to start in verse 19. I'm going to read through our passage for the day. Then I'll go back and we'll kind of break it down a little bit along the way. And then as we break it down, we'll put those verses up on the screen. So James says this, Chapter 1, verse 19. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to, to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, de- deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is a religious, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So here's what I'd love to do is I'd love to go back and just break a few of the things that James says, just break them down, let them resonate with us for a minute and challenge some of our thinking. So we'll go back to the beginning. James chapter 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, let's just let that settle for a minute. The reality is we could just say, all right, let's shut it down. That's the point for today. All of us have got some room to grow. Can we, can we be honest? There's not one of us in here who is completely immune from maybe maybe being a little slow to hear someone, a little quick to speak, and a little quick to anger. Now, some of us may be naturally better at it than others. Some of us may be naturally slower to speak than others around us, but none of us are immune from this. So, Let's just let James do what James loves to do and let him challenge us a little. So take 10 seconds to think about when was the last time you spoke a little too quickly with a little too much anger and you didn't really listen to the other person. 
Some of you are thinking like 15 minutes ago. On the drive here is when that happened. So just make, make maybe a commitment right now. When we're done here today, maybe just reach out to that person, whether they're sitting next to you or you need to call them. Just say, hey, this morning, yesterday, last week, I was a little too, too quick to speak, and I'm sorry. So let's move on. James is not only going to tell us what to do and what not to do. Fortunately, he's going to tell us why. So moving on to verse 20. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So what James is going to do is he's going to tell us what the ultimate goal or outcome for our lives is. We talked about, you know, you get out what you put in, but what is it that we're trying to get out in our lives? Like, what is the goal? And James is going to tell us here. It's the righteousness of God. Now, the Bible has a ton to say about the righteousness of God. I mean, in just our short time, we would, have, we would not have enough time to go through and read all the things that the Bible has to say. But oftentimes, the righteousness of God is associated with his power, with his character, and with his activities in saving his people. Us in the New Testament, that would be the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Look at just a few things that the New Testament does say about righteousness. Anna Kate actually read from this verse to help open us up in worship this morning and at the very end of the passage she read was second corinthians 5 21 for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of god that jesus took upon himself our sin so that in exchange he could give us his righteousness Here's what Paul says in Philippians 3. After just talking about essentially giving us his very impressive resume and about how he's better than all of us, this is what he says. But whatever gain I had, I count, counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so what we see here is that the righteousness of God is made possible for us in the death of Christ and given to us by faith in him. For those of us who have trusted and placed our faith in him, We receive the righteousness of God. We receive something that we could never accomplish on our own as a gift to us. So if you would say today that you've placed your faith and trust in Christ, in his death in which he took upon himself your sin to pay that penalty, so that in exchange he could give you his righteousness through faith, then that means you have the righteousness of God. 
But remember, James, unlike Paul, who most of the time Paul wants to teach us about the gospel, help us understand the deeper foundations of the gospel, James wants us to see how the gospel impacts how we live our actual lives every day. And so if the righteousness of God is the outcome, that's the goal, that's what we want for our lives, if that's the outcome, then what's the input? What, what is it that's going to produce that in us? And he's going to tell us here. So we've read verse 19 and 20. Here's 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. The idea of the implanted word in us is exactly why we've challenged our church through this series to read James along with us in this study. It's why we've challenged our church. Hey, when you encounter verses that sting a little or that bring joy and comfort or lead you to worship, when you encounter those verses as you're reading through James, we've challenged you to memorize them. This is one of the ways that we begin to implant God's word into our lives, into our hearts. Now, let me just address something that some of you may be thinking. You may be thinking, yeah, I'm terrible at memorizing stuff. I wasn't good at it in school. Uh, I can't memorize things. That's baloney. And I said baloney because it's the only word I, think I could think of that I allowed to say on the stage. Listen, if you can order at Starbucks without looking at the menu, you can memorize. Listen, if you can spout off all of your fantasy football stats, I know you're not really looking at the Bible on your phone, you're checking your stats, I get it, it's cool. Everyone thinks you're really spiritual because they think you're looking at the Bible app. Listen, if you can spout off your fantasy football stats without looking them up, you can memorize scripture. If you can say the Pledge of Allegiance, if you can sing along to a song on the radio without even thinking about it while you're driving, you can. It's about implanting God's word in our hearts and our lives to begin to produce in our actions what God has already declared to be true of our hearts and souls. Let's keep going. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks in t into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So the implanted word isn't just about hearing or reading the word. It's about living the word. And while reading the Bible and memorizing verses is a key part of that taking place, it means nothing if it doesn't actually affect who you are. If those words don't begin to bleed out into your regular life, and so James gives us an analogy to help us understand what this is like. 
He says it's like someone who looks in a mirror, then turns around and would be unable to recognize themselves. It'd be like as if I showed you a picture of yourself along with a few other people and you didn't know which one was you. Exactly. <laughs> Proving James's point. That was classic. I owe you afterwards. That was perfect. It makes no sense. How could you, how could you look at a picture and not know even who you were? And listen, he's, he's not even talking about like your image from back in the day when you were in your prime, but even a picture of you right now that you couldn't recognize yourself. Now, if you saw a picture of yourself today, you may or may not love what you see, but you would know who you were. To not be able to recognize yourself, that's kind of silly. And that's what James thinks of the word not impacting who we are. He says to look into this word and then to walk away unchanged is equally absurd. It makes no sense. Not if you know what you're reading. I love that James uses this analogy of a mirror and especially in light of talking about God's word. I want to read from you in Hebrews chapter 4 where the author of Hebrews is going to talk about God's word as well. Here the author of Hebrews says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is what makes the Bible different than every other book. As it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Bible does something that no other word can do. See, the reality is while we think we're reading the Bible, the reality is the Bible is reading us. It's exposing things in us. Things that we know, sometimes things that we don't even know are there. In many ways, as we begin to read God's word, it serves like a mirror, sending us back two reflections. A reflection of the real us and a reflection of Jesus. And it's in that that we can compare how our righteousness stacks up. Because our righteousness isn't compared to someone else. It's not compared to your best friend or your spouse it's not compared to the holiest person you know, and it certainly isn't compared to the worst person you can think of in history. Our righteousness is compared to that of Jesus. And that's why the Bible says all of us fall short. Because it doesn't matter how you compare it to anyone else. When it comes to the righteousness of God, all of us fall short. And so God's word serves to expose that to us. That's where we begin to see where there are inconsistencies between what we claim to believe and then how we actually live out our lives. 
James says, how could you see that and walk away unchanged? Walk away unaffected. Let's go on to our last section. Verses 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious, does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person, person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Religion is knowing all the right answers but not doing anything about it. The righteousness of God, on the other hand, changes who we are from the inside out. So James doesn't care if it hurts your feelings. But he would say to you, if what you do doesn't line up with what you claim to believe, then what you claim to believe is worthless. If it doesn't actually produce effective changes in your life. And then he makes this comparison. I don't know if you caught it. Here at the end, he talks about us being unstained from the world, which is a counter to what he talked about earlier in the passage about, about avoiding and putting away all filthiness. We're to put all filthiness away and to remain unstained. And the way he wants us to do it is through the implanted word. You get out what you put in. James wants us to recognize the importance and the priority of God's word in our lives. That it's the implanted word in our lives that begins to produce the righteousness that God has already proclaimed over you. The righteousness that God has given as a free gift to you. The righteousness that none of us can earn or deserve. It begins to take hold and produce something in us through the implanted word. So here's the challenge for all of us this morning. To take a minute to stop and to examine our own lives. Does your life match with what you claim to believe. The righteousness of, righteousness of God was imparted to you by what Jesus did on the cross that moment you first believed. That you have His righteousness is a true statement about you. The question is, has that righteousness started to bleed out into your daily life and actions. It's yours as a gift, that righteousness. And it begins to take hold through the implanted word. So will you today make a commitment that you will implant God's word into your heart, into your life to begin changing who you are? Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for the moment that we're given 
here this morning to just come in your presence and to be comforted and confronted by your truth. Lord, I thank you for the boldness and the directness of James. That he's not afraid to speak truth, even when it's hard to hear, even when it confronts the realities of our lives. Lord, I just ask, would you let it settle in us? Would you let it take hold in our heart? Would you let it begin to change who we are and how we live? I want you to keep your eyes closed for a moment this morning as we come to a conclusion. And what we want to do is we want to give you an opportunity to respond. We give you an opportunity to respond to the truth that James has confronted us with this morning. There's a number of ways in which you could respond. You may want to stay seated in just a moment in an attitude of prayer. Just allowing what James said to really confront you and challenge you. Maybe you need some time in prayer to examine your own life. To think about whether or not what you claim to believe matches with how you actually live your life. Another way that you may want to respond this morning is in celebration. Celebrating the fact that you and I are so undeserving, yet because of his love for us, Jesus became sin on our behalf. And that on the cross, he took our sins so that he could give us his righteousness. And maybe as a form of celebration of that truth this morning, you want to worship and celebrate with communion. On the night Jesus would give, the night before he would give his life, he had one final supper with his disciples. And at that supper, he took took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. He took the cup, saying, this is my blood that's poured out for you. And for the last 2,000 years, Christians in unity together have taken the bread and the cup to remember what he did for us on the cross. Communion is available for you in the back. This morning, there's an extra table in the hallway uh, with additional communion supplies. If, if you want to worship and respond in that way, that's available to you. And finally, maybe for some of you, today is the day that you place your faith and your trust in Jesus. For the first time, you recognize that there's no way that you could ever be good enough, that you could ever earn what Jesus has accomplished for you. And to be given the righteousness of God We place our faith and our trust in him. As Paul said, it's a righteousness, not by works, but a righteousness that we receive through faith. And if you've never done that, then this morning is your morning. It's your morning to give your heart and your life, to place your faith and trust in Jesus for what he's done for you. Lord, would you be honored by however it is that we may respond to you this morning based on what you're doing in our hearts and our lives? Where we need it, would you comfort us? And where we need it, would you challenge us this morning? Lord, would you do a work in us that the righteousness that you've given to us as a gift begin 
working its way out into our actions. Lord, we love you. We trust you. And we pray this in your name.